Welcome back to the Inside Wayne podcast and thank you so much for joining me again. I'm super excited for today's episode as we have our first international guest. Sarah J. Nasser is an Irish international dressage rider who has been living in America for the last 10 years. She is a USDF bronze and silver medalist and has competed extensively in Wellington and Florida and also in New England. Sarah Jane has worked under the watchful eye of Pamela Goodrich, whom she met at a clinic here at home. Her career highlights include third place in the Region A Open Level Championship, where she was selected as a wildcard to attend the US National Championships in 2019. She is now set up at her base in New Hampshire with her two horses, Get Ready and her future superstar, Bob. I had so much fun recording this episode and it was so lovely to catch up with Sarah Jane. It's funny and heartwarming and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Inside Rain podcast and I am so delighted to be joined by Irish international dressage writer Sarah Jane Arthur. Hi there, how are you? I'm so excited to be a part of this podcast. Thank you so, so much for joining me and thank you so much for your time as well, especially given the time difference because you're all the way in America. I am indeed all the way in Franklin, New Hampshire, of all places, in the middle of nowhere. Love. (laughs) Covered in snow at the minute. Uh, Yeah, well, luckily it's starting to melt off. We had some fine days last week, Um, except for today, not so good. Today was a bit, uh, a bit cold, minus eight degrees Celsius with a wind chill and that made it feel like minus 16 so yeah (laughs) that is pretty cold (laughs) yeah it's pretty cold yeah hard going so I've known you for such a long time and it's so great to 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 catch up with you now today and yeah just tell us all how you got into horses so it it was a I mean it was a family affair for definite. Um, my older sister, Stephanie, um, pony club in, uh, she did it all actually. She hunted and my younger sister got into it. And then I did, I was the last of the clan. Um, I was very slow to pick it up, but once I was in it, I was in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you had a typical kind of like Irish kind of horsey upbringing. We were kind of like thrown into everything, like pony club, bit of hunting, yep. bit of everything. Yeah, definitely all of that. Um, you know, we were very fortunate that we were able to have the ponies and the horses at home. Um, and we, we yeah, I, I did pony club. Uh, fox hunting wasn't really for me because I'm quite a bit of a chicken, really. Not anymore, but I was back <laughs> then. I was not. <laughs> not the bravest that my younger sister uh Suzanne she's the one that's the bravest one you'll see her actually out fox hunting these days side saddle nonetheless um so yeah it was we had ponies um we I I think I took over the ride on my older sister's pony moonshine she was a Connemara cross and she actually lived to be 40 something years of age I think she only passed away a couple of years ago um Oh yeah, God. yeah. And actually, we, we, we got her from um, Thomasina O'Reilly up in, uh, I think she's in and around Aslone. I don't know, you'll see her. She's got some, she's got some lovely Connemaras, actually. Um, yeah. So I took over the ride on Moonshine. And then I got my own horse, Aaron. He was a 15-hander. And it kind of dressage really took over then for me. So... Yeah. Okay. Uh, kind of. I, I think I finished um, Pony Club. I did my road safety, and that was like the last I did the Pony Club. 
Yeah. That was like the one exam that we needed in order to compete at the time, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah, actually, I think so. And um, I don't even know if I was even technically supposed, I don't think I was even allowed, because weren't you supposed to do your road safety after you did your C tests? Because I think I did it after my D, my D plus, maybe. I should know oh, this. I should know this too, uh, but I mean, it was a very long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> very long time ago. And what was it about when, you know, having had such, uh, I suppose, a varied, um, varied kind of take to horses between the pony club and stuff like that? What was it about dressage that drew you to it? Um, honestly, uh, there was no jumping involved. <laughs> um I don't know I just love the the technicalities of it um I really enjoyed having a set plan knowing what my test was going to be and 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 I I don't know it was just a little bit different you know everybody else was jumping and fox hunting it was all a little bit too um disorganized for me I suppose (laughs) you know for for my personality anyway um, you know, I'm very much, I'm pretty demanding of myself and I kind of always needed to know what I was doing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like yeah. To, to go up yeah. to a show and then, you know, I don't know how, you know, going up to do, you know, a show jumping course and not knowing your course until the day you get there. Like that's oh, too much for me. Yeah. Too much. That's like yeah. added, yeah. added pressure that I couldn't handle, I suppose, um, you know. Yeah. And my sisters, it was Stephanie actually the one that pioneered the the, the whole dressage thing in our family. And I kind of just followed along. Love it. Love it. I remember from, I I, I would have been very young at the time, but I remember, um, I remember you competing Mr. Freeze. Oh my God. Yeah. How could I forget about him? Um, So he actually belonged to my older sister, Stephanie. And she was, I can't remember why I ended up showing him. And I actually did pretty good on him, I think. I did my first ever medium tests on him. Um, I did do an, uh, an under-21 friendly, an international down at Marathon with him. And the I'll tell you one story. The very last test, um, you know, he was a horse that would get kind of tired as the, day, as the days went on. And, you know, we decided we'll do five minutes of a warm-up before we go in to do the elementary test. And I was like, Grant. And of course, I got on late. I did one 20 meter circle and trot, had to go straight and do the test. And we ended up getting like a 68 or something like that. I think I placed. I got like first or second. Oh, my God. It's just, you know, those kind of. Yeah, God, let me think about that. Yeah, he was great. He belonged to my older sister and he was big. Yeah, he was he was a big horse. Oh, do you know why I was? He was. I remember why. Because we were putting my mare into foal because I was leaving the next summer because I was going to go do um, co-op experience in Kentucky. That's what it was. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. That's why. And within within the dress ads, like you were like very, very successful. You had, you know, mon- multiple under 25 international friendlies yep. in 2006. You were a young rider, national champion. And yep. you did so well in the dress ads here. Yeah. Um, I did like, but you know, at the same time, I never felt fully again, like a typical dressage writer, very critical of ourselves. Um, you know, you always feel looking back on God, I could have done that better, but, um, very, very 
talk about a great way to go about it like as as an under 21 rider like we went to Scotland we did my very first international was actually in the field it was in Blarney that was where the first international friendlies were held at home was um on the grounds of Blarney Castle and I think I was 12 maybe 13 and I did it on Erin oh my yeah, god yeah. like Stephanie my older sister now she would um she'd be able to recollect those memories a lot better because she did a few of those um and yeah then we had a few they were held in the Cairn for a couple of years and then we had a few I think the one of the last ones were held of when I was at home still was probably at Marlton yeah wow like back then it sounds like there was so much more um like under 20 like under 25 national international friendly far more than what I hear of there yeah. being now you know that there were so many opportunities for you to kind of get that international feel from a very early yeah age. actually th- there was and I've, I've been trying you know I'm trying to keep up with the goings on back at home and I, I see none of them are offered like we were we were invited to international friendlies all the time um you know it was either in oh god was it Addington or, and I remember my first one, like yeah. the one in Scotland we went to was um, over in Stirling in Scotland. And a, a big crowd of us went over there. Um, and Nakarn, there was, yeah, every year there was always at least one in Ireland and there was always a few in England. Yeah. Well, Britain, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's definitely something that I think, obviously not, you know, obviously with COVID and everything, but like, imagining that COVID isn't here I definitely think there's room for kind of more of those to be held because I can imagine that the experience that you gain from those is invaluable and has definitely helped you for where you are today yeah for definite and you know it was um it was very nice to just see how the others you know how the other groups did it you know to see to compete against the Welsh and the Scottish and the Brit you know and, and the um the English was it was so fun to to chit chat with them all and be like, oh, what kind of saddles are they riding in? And wow, did you see her pony? And, you know, things like that. It was just, it was nice. It just gave you, it was more eye-opening, I suppose. It was just opened the doors for me to yeah. be like, you know what? There's more beyond, you know, the ponies yeah. and the dressage yeah. here in Ireland. Like, Not that I'm saying it was subpar at home because it wasn't. It was just for me, I was always, I always had that wanderlust, you know, um, and I loved watching and trying to learn as best I could. It was, it was a great time. It was a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from kind of when, I suppose, when you went heavy into the dressage, like what was one of your favorite childhood memories from from growing up with so it actually had nothing to do with um riding um we all you know most of our ponies all drove and my younger sister had a pony called captain starlight at the time and we used to be able to just like i mean you can't do this as kids anymore and you know roads are busier but the two of us and even like stephanie as well we would harness up the pony hook up the gig and we would just go off driving around the back roads of Spansel Hill you know just the three of us with the ponies like it was so much fun like that to me was probably one of my favorite memories a lot of the driving as kids yeah you know and just even going to the shows and getting to meet meet all our friends 
you know, from around the country, like just it's always a good get together, you know, always. Yeah, yeah, it, it always like I think the social aspect is so big. It it nearly as big as what it is for the love of actually going competing. Isn't oh, it? it is, it is, and yeah, yeah, it is because. And, and these are the people that you could, you know, you don't see them from one end of the year to the other. And then, you know, six months later, you go to a show together and it's like, oh, God, you know, it's like you, you picked up, you know, where you left off six months prior, you know. Um, yeah, we, we used to have great yeah. times. It was a lot of fun. Love All it. of us, like, living in, 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 the, in the horse lorry, like, there was my dad you know my older sister myself the younger sister and whoever else like you know we we're all packed in there it was great as many as many people you could get into the lorry as, as yeah, possible and, and my mother she used to send us with this massive shepherd's pie that we would um heat up the first night we get there and then we would feed half of the bloody showgrounds you know it was it was great <laughs> everybody would come to ours for shepherd's pie yeah good times oh I love it and from I suppose like competing with um Mr Freeze in the dressage I suppose that kind of brings you up to when you went to college in University of Limerick yeah so well and I had a mare so you know I rode Freeze for probably a year well I bloody hell I can't even remember the, the timelines um I had a mare as well that I actually had taken over from my dad um her name was uh Dweeney and she was the one that I put in fall in the summer of 2006 and she was the one I actually I won my young rider championship on and actually so once I was in college no that was halfway through college a the next horse really for me to show was her her fall basically so William was by Grange Bouncer um and he ended up being very big. So I rode him in the last couple of years of college because he would have been three. And that's and that's kind of when that was the precursor to going to America. Yep. Yep. And he was only, you know, three and four. And then I was gone. <laughs> and then yeah. I, like I left. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I went to UL. Um, I did certificate diploma and degree in equine science. Um, and I also did a co-op experience um, working in Lexington, Kentucky. One summer I was working for Judmont and my job was to fall out the mares. So I got to play a big hand in that. So that was kind of fun to do something different. You know, I didn't ride at all that whole time I was there. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go learn about the thoroughbred industry and just the breeding side of things and, you know full care yeah. and things like that so I got to experience an awful lot there in the six months I think I was there from yeah February yeah. to August yep so that was kind of cool yep love it and I suppose like it gave you I going over to America it probably opened your eyes more especially in the thoroughbred world it opened your eyes more to I, like the standard and and just the the diff, I suppose the the quantity and how big everything oh, yeah. is over and there. In, and in fact, like when I was in Kentucky, <laughs> when I left Kentucky, I was like, I'm never coming back to America again. It is such a male dominated industry, and you know, blah blah blah. Because I I, I 
in the thoroughbred industry, that was my viewpoint. Like, um, you know, girls weren't really allowed in assisting with breedings. Um, it was always the boys. And my one of my biggest jobs was to accompany mares to other farms to be covered by different stallions. So, you know, I would hand off the mare, but I would never see any girls in the breeding shed. There were always these uh, cocky boys, um, even cool more. They all had their own like monogrammed um, back protectors and helmets. And, you know, they were just like acting super cocky and they were just not very easy to talk to or anything like that. And I was like, oh, they don't like girls in there. Like, I'm not interested. And I was like, I'm never going back to America. Yeah. Um, but then again, that was just the thoroughbred side. Like, I didn't know about any other yeah. aspect of the horse industry in the U.S. And then here I am. I'm in the States now living 10 years. Like, it's just can't always you know me saying I'll never come back and sure look at me now you know little did you know at the time you were you were going to be living over there and you know I learned a lot while I was in Kentucky you know I got to see you know foldings um covering of mares um I even I even got to see some colic surgeries um just even the care of the foals that was kind of fun. And I even met oh, the owner that he actually even passed away a couple of months ago. He was the Prince Abdullah. Um, so he was a, a Saudi Arabian prince. So he was the one that owned Judmont. So I got to meet him and show him some of the foals in my barn. Because I was in charge of caring for foals that were going to be born from March all the way to May. So I had like the last, the last barn to fall out. So they, it got kind of dragged on a bit. Yeah. That, that yeah. Was... Yeah. Wow. That must have been an oh, incredible yeah. experience. It just, it was a whole different way. And I, oh, I even got to see some, um, you know, they have like the limb corrective surgeries where they'll put screws in their knees and stuff to help straighten them out. So I got to see a couple of yeah. that, a couple of uh, those kind of surgeries. And it was just very eye opening. And I was like, wow, there's so much more. There's so much more to learn. Like you can never stop learning is what I realized while I yeah. was there. Um, and even just even yeah. um, down to nurse mares, that whole side of things, you know, again, I'd never even heard of that. They, what they would do is some, some mares that were deemed, you know, a bit older and maybe not fit to care for the foal when it was born, they would introduce a nurse mare instead. So that was totally new to me. That was cool. Yeah. 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 No, it sounds it sounds like a, a really kind of valuable experience in your time. And from I suppose, did you know when you went in to do the equine science course in UL that you wanted to have a career on dressage in dressage or was it kind of something that you fell into having going over to America and basing um, so yourself there. Honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Even while I was in college. I was like, I don't know where this is taking me. I don't know if it's going to take me anywhere. So um what really happened um what really happened was I had graduated from getting my degree and I kind of hung around at home and I worked for a year and a bit and you know we, we were starting to have that um another economy crash and it was kind of like there was nothing really doing and 
that's when my very good friend Shauna I was just like messing around at home I was riding you know I was working I was riding my three-year-old or he was coming four at the time not really and I had started to show him not really sure what I was where it was going and my good friend Shauna who um she owns and runs Hidden Valley Farm in Galway she had spent six weeks um working in New Hampshire for Pam Goodrich her trainer's daughter was the barn manager at Pam's and Shauna had a great time she came home and in April that following April I guess Pam was she always does like a two-week vacation in Europe um after the Florida season so she spends a week in the south of France with her family and then she spends a week in Ireland because she's a sister in Kinsale and Shauna was like, oh, she's coming up here to do a two-day clinic. You have to ride with her. You just have to. And I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I will. Like, it's about time I take, you know, my, my horse off property. It's, it's time for some education. Why not? So myself and my yeah. younger sister, off yeah. we went um, up to Simone Hessians. It was at um, Woodlands. And I rode with Pam. I remember going into the indoor on this tall leggy youngster with my skull cap <laughs> I didn't look very dressage at all and um it all just it just made sense at the time I was struggling with trying to get him to stay cantering without he was almost like bunny hopping in the canter you know he was a big big youngster and really what it was at the end of the day was he just didn't have enough room to canter at home and I have a we had a big arena at home right so I went and I rode with her. She told me what was going on. And I was like, this is great. This totally made sense to me. It was very, it was a lot more simple than I thought mm. it was going to be. Like, it was very, this is what's happening. This is why we're doing this. This is what I think you need to do moving forward. And I was like, love it. Yeah. So, um, and then Shauna had, <laughs> text me or called me a few days later and she said you need to send Pam an email I'm going back you're coming with me you, you got to ask her for a job <laughs> I was like uh no that's very cheeky and then I'll be putting words in her mouth that's, <laughs> no I can't do that she goes you need oh why not oh devil with it I will so I sent her an email and she was like yep when can you start? <laughs> and then Shauna and I, yeah, so the two of us went oh over. And we started, then the quest to get our visas was on. And we were hoping to get there in September, but we didn't end up getting there until two weeks, no, a week before Christmas. Because getting the visas, there was a backlog at the uh, the American embassy. Yeah, it was, it was a dash to get ourselves to America. Yeah, we, we were granted our visas and yeah. we were on a plane less than a week later. And that's and that's how it started. Yeah, it was kind wow. of, you know, it was oh very, my God. very cheeky of me, I felt, you know, because I, I was like, God, I can't, I can't do that. I'll be putting words in her mouth. Like, I can't do that. Well, and I'm glad I did. <laughs> I'm glad I did. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's kind of one of those things, you know, we were talking before we started recording about uh, taking risk and I suppose you have to take a yeah. bit of a risk 
at times, you know, and look look where it led you to. And I suppose it was lovely that it it was so organic how you met. It was through a lesson, you know, you got yep. to meet her here first. And I suppose you had a bit of familiarity before you went over there. And I suppose you had the comfort of oh, having a friend that, with you really as well. That's what really made it, like, to have, you know, Shauna push me along and say, come on, let's just do it. And, you know, the memories we've had since, like... Uh, it was unreal like we we went there originally on a three-year visa and by the middle of the third year we're like we want to stay longer so we extended our visa for another two years and um then shauna said it was time for her to go home and i just wasn't ready and at the point i had met my now husband and it just just i just stayed here never left yeah yeah, it's just, you know, as wow. you said, how it happened of organically wow. like things, you know, my Nana always used to say, like, what's for you won't pass you. And at the same time, I'm a big believer yeah. in making plans, but you have to be pretty flexible in how it goes. And yeah, here I am. Like, it was the best time ever. And it was great having Shauna there. Like, it was the two of us. It was just, I don't know how we didn't kill each other because we had bought a car together we lived together we worked together we socialized together and we didn't kill each other it was great like yeah it was great and we both earned our did Shauna get her bronze medal she definitely earned her silver that's for that's for sure we we both got our USDF silver medals and I have my bronze I can't remember whether she got hers or not I'd have to ask her but yeah it was great it must have been so strange when she came back home. I say it was almost as if you had lost a limb or something when you had to continue working yeah, when that she was had very headed weird home. I stayed on working for Pam for another year after she left. And it was weird because, you know, Rhea was barn manager and then Rhea moved on and then Ali was barn manager and then Shauna was barn manager and then I was barn manager, but she wasn't there. You know, that was very... Not only did you know she went, yeah. Not only did she go home, but I had to step into a new role as well. Like that was, it was different. That's for sure, very different. Yeah, yeah. And kind of getting into um, more about your time with Pam. So, when you initially started, did you immediately go into the writing role, or did you start kind of how I suppose? most guys would kind of be mucking out or did you specifically go into kind of competing horses or did you just do cover so all of the I areas? I didn't ride myself. It was probably a good three or four weeks before she put me on a horse. Um, and, and that was kind of the reason okay. why I, I was happy to go to the US versus say, you know, more dressage yards in mainland Europe because sometimes you never get on a horse. And it was always like we were kind of, we were, it yeah. was guaranteed we were going to get on horses fairly regularly. And that's kind of why I went. I thought, I'll go for three years. I'll learn as much as I can. I'll go back home. Well, sure, we know that didn't happen. But um, I was probably about a month before she put me on a horse. And then, and I wasn't super fit at the time either, I'll be honest. So I was going into America and not like very, very much like riding fit. Um, and then she kind of just kicked my arse then, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> once she put me on a horse, like I stayed on one and she, 
kick me around until like I don't say kick me around, but she was she 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 pushed us hard. Like she and it was just to teach us. It wasn't even to get us good enough to ride client horses. It was just I'm going to make you better riders. So um I think the first horse I rode was yeah. a client named Jane's and she put me on him after Pam had ridden him and I was on him for five or ten minutes and then she kind of increased it and then she put us um then she put me on Peanut, who I ended up getting to show eventually. He's my heart horse really. And you know, I hope I hope he retires at me in the future. I just love him so much. Um, he is the one that you learn to sit the trot on, and he was a very passagey type trot. So she put us on a circle to the right, and I probably trotted sitting the trot on a circle to the right for months, <laughs> probably months. Like we all <laughs> were on a circle to the right because you know he was a bit tricky. He didn't like to turn right. So she made us go on a circle to the right until we figured out how to sit the trot. I'll never forget it. Um, and then it just went from there. Um, I did so I did a little bit that first season because when I moved when we moved to the states, it was straight to the Florida season. And you know, we also had to we also had to adjust to okay. dealing with heat and sun. Like we hadn't we had never ridden in twenty eight degrees Celsius. Like it just. You know, we're learning how to not get sunburned. You know, there there was there was so much to it, but we also had all the chores to do. You know, we we yeah. fed the horses, we mucked the stalls, we did all the turnout, the turn in, like basically all like your normal burn duties. And then when we got back up to yeah. New Hampshire, so normally yeah. she winters in Florida, beginning of December to the end of the first week in April, and then when we moved back up north that's where I got more riding opportunities and then it just kind of went on from there you know so but she always had she had her own horses yeah. and you know one or two of them would be for the working students to ride and that's how we learned and then we started getting okay. more opportunities like when she would go away to teaching clinic she'd have me or Shauna sit on a couple of the client horses just to keep them ticking over you know things like that and that's just kind of it was great because every day you rode and she was there, you got a lesson. There was no, you know, leaving you to fend for yourself. And whenever she went away, then you had the opportunity to think for yourself a little bit. So that, that was, it was, it was a great, okay. it was just, it was just a great system, you know, and the horses worked six days a week. There was always a hacking day in there. She's got a great, um, property where she's got fields and trails and so they, they always had a, a well-rounded education as the horses went so that was that was great yep yeah, yeah. and then and then I started into getting into the again uh, we always did the barn chores like even though I you know the riding role for me got more and more um we always still had to take care of the barn and the property yeah 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 that sounds like it sounds you know just from hearing that immediately i suppose if some riders you know if they were to go over and not have sat on a horse for a month maybe it might be the time where they kind of think god yeah. am i going to get on a horse will i just leave I, but sorry but it, did I, you? I am going to interrupt you <laughs> um and don't get me wrong, I totally <laughs> felt like that. I was like, God, does she not think I'm not, do, am I not working hard enough to earn this yet? You know what I mean? So like, 
I, I would work even harder. Yeah. I would stop. And every time I had a minute, I would watch her ride or I'd listen to her teach, you know, I was like, I feel like I really have to try really hard to show her that I'm working really hard, you know? And it, you know, for me, what you put in yes. is what you get out. Yes. Yeah. There was many times where things were seemed unfair or I didn't get what I felt like I deserved at the time. You know, it always came yeah. around. As I said, what's for you won't pass you. It always came back around. And it's also hard when you're a girl and you're working with yeah. a bunch of girls and there's hormones and there's emotions and, you know, that can be all a big factor as well, mm. you know? Yeah. In, yeah. in, in how we and think. I suppose and... <laughs> in a way, yeah, yeah, of course. And I suppose in a way, you know, oftentimes Anya, especially if there are some that are riding and some that haven't yet gotten to that point mm-hmm. where Pam has put you on a horse, there's almost a bit of kind of silent competition as well, which I can imagine can be quite hard to deal with. with oh, them. yeah. Yeah, for definite. Like, um, oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, it wasn't really ever really like that between Shauna and I, thankfully. But when, you know, as time went on and like new working students would come in and some people would leave, they they would voice their opinions to us yeah and and it, there is a bit of silent competition but luckily we were a pretty well-rounded group and we were all mature enough that we didn't buy into that you know you know we were all in yeah. around the same age yeah. we didn't have yeah. any 17 year olds or whatever so we were all in our early to mid-20s at that point so we were all like a bit beyond it you know so that was good yeah yeah know? yeah yeah and at what point then did you get a taster for competing in America what was that like I suppose coming from you know little old Ireland and then getting put into the competition scene in America you know I suppose I'm dying to know the real details of how different it is and and how their system is over there um how it started for me to to go, get into the show ring um so it was um december 2011 when we moved over there so that first winter didn't show the whole next summer didn't show so that first summer working in new hampshire pam actually imported three horses from denmark um she had bought two mares and a gelding and that was actually another cool thing was going to quarantine in New York to pick them up. So she had imported two four-year-olds, the gelding and the mare, and then an older mare. And I ended up riding the two four-year-olds that year. Um, I already started them. Um, and LC was the chestnut mare. So I ended up riding her for all of her four and five-year-old year. So that, that Florida season, um, we were, you know, Pam likes to test them when they're four or five to see what they're like at the horse show. So that's how I got my first taste into showing in America. So we were in Florida. So my first show was in the Florida season, which was great, but it was also scary because um, here uh, you have three groups. You have, you're either a junior young rider, you're an adult amateur, or you're an open slash professional. Because I was working for Pam, okay. immediately I had to go pro. And that was scary as if you can imagine. Okay. You know, I'm like this 
yeah. Irish girl, hadn't shown in a couple of years at that point. I'm riding this really nice Danish warm blood and I'm going to have to go in up against known professionals. Like, great. So I did. Yeah. And we did, <laughs> we did a prelim and a novice. And I think we got second and third. Some good scores, like, and, and that was like, oh, that's brilliant. Cool. But of course, I didn't even have a show jacket. I had to go buy a show jacket. And the, there's a great consignment store in Wellington, excuse me. And I had to, of course, working student didn't have much money. I had to buy a coat, basically. So you can imagine showing <laughs> in 20 something degrees in a wool coat. Like, <laughs> so, but it was, you know what? I wouldn't try oh, it. It was amazing. It was great. And, so I showed her once and I think maybe that same year or the following shows the far the following Florida season, I showed uh Lusitano Pony Stallion called Tome at fourth level, which is the equivalent of advanced. Yep. So I kind of like jumped around okay. depending on what horse I was riding at the time. So I it wasn't it wasn't linear Very. in regards to levels. Um, and it, I actually earned my silver medal before, like, I earned, like, I had shown pre-St. George before I had shown elementary, <laughs> the equivalent of elementary. So I flip-flopped around. So it was pretty much whatever opportunity I was given to show, that's just what I did. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it was never really my decision. Okay. It was just, we're entering you on this horse for this show because we want to see what he can do. Or what he'll do with you or whatever. Okay. You know? So that's kind of how it was. Um, mm. So I probably. Yeah. So I flip flopped around. I had shown a couple of. Thir- and then I got to show peanut at third level. Which is advanced medium. There is no medium level here in the States. You go prelim, novice, elementary, advanced, medium, advanced, pre-St. George and blah, blah, blah. So that's that's how that goes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, most of my showing was done down in Florida until I started riding peanut more. And then I showed him up here qualified for our regional championships and then brought him to regionals in 2015, I think. And actually peanut belongs to Lars Peterson, the Danish Olympian. So that was kind of cool to, yeah, it was pretty that cool. That was really yeah. cool. Oh, my God. Thought, like, I think I brought Peanut to his first ever horse show at the age of 12. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a good time. And just kind of touching on the yes. bronze and silver medal. So um, what what is that kind of? Is that a certain kind of? award that you get for yeah so level, it's what it? the united states dressage federation here would um deem a rider achievement award so um basically what okay. happens uh, is you know to get your bronze you have to get two scores of 60 percent or above second third no first second and third level separate shows separate judges okay they're, they try to make it as difficult as possible. And then for your silver, it's <laughs> two scores at 60 or above at fourth level and pre-St. George. And, you know, again, separate judges, separate shows. And then your gold is 
I won I2 and Grand Prix, same thing. Score Two scores, 16 above, I think that's what it is. So I have my bronze and my silver. I haven't done a, a tail coat in a few years at this point because I, when, after I got married, um, I kind of went on my own. So I, I, I'm just still, I'm back to like building up my show record again. So I can't wait to do that, get my tail coat yeah. back on. That would be nice. But, um, so the silver yeah. and the gold medals are actually, they're pretty, pretty important. For me as a professional, it's good to have, you know, this on your show record. I know medals are not everything, but it does like, you know, for potential clients, they can look up my show record and be like, oh, she's got her silver. Well, you know, she, you know, it just yeah. looks good and it shows I've done stuff, I suppose. Of course, yeah. I suppose like it, it's showing that, you know, you've worked hard to get there, you have right. experience, you have knowledge that you can bring to clients that, you know, right. as best you valuable. Can. Like, you know, I always say, like, I don't know everything. I still have a lot more to learn. Um, but it does mm. it kind of will put you maybe a step above someone else in you know, for, for business and in, in that's how I feel anyway. Um yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. And is it something that in order to go, so once you have your bronze and, oh, sorry, do you have to have completed enough that you get your bronze before you move up to silver? No, it's, or it's is it, pretty, it's is totally it random. Like, I had my silver earned before I finished my bronze. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot okay. harder for... They say the average amount of time it takes someone to earn their bronze medal on a horse that they've trained themselves is something like between seven and nine years. You know, if you're, if you think about, you know, training your horse from scratch to get all the way up to third level, like that takes a long time, especially if you don't have access to regular training and that kind of thing. And, you know, here in the States, it's a little hard as well, because not every body has a truck and a trailer that they can go take regular lessons. You know, it's logistically, it is harder um, to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and you, you can, or you can earn your gold before you even get your bronze. As I, you know, as I said, it's completely random. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It's kind of good though. I think it's, I think it's good for the riders. I can imagine even for you, I suppose, having just said that you, it's important for you in terms of getting future clients. It can be a great motivation for the riders oh, yeah. to try and oh, for, complete for sure. all their medals. Um, and it, you know, even for me as a, a trainer and instructor, like I love it when my students say, this is my goal. Can I get my bronze? Do you think it's achievable? Like yeah. last year, um, I helped one lady achieve her bronze. So she is that completed. And I have a few other girls that are, you know, two thirds of their way through. So, but of course, like as with everything, the flying change is always the, the stickler. <laughs> it's always the stickler. Yeah. It, it, 
Yeah, it's the flying changes are always the the part of training that just make all of the the demons come out <laughs> yes. and scare everybody. And, you know, even though you have to try and tell yourself it's only one movement, but at the end of the day, you you want a clean flying change each way, as you ask when you ask. You yeah. know, so that that's always the stickler. So I yeah, mean, I mean it's a big jump to go from you know elementary level to advanced medium, and there's no in between. Like that's a huge jump and and they're very particular like yeah. So, yeah um judging they're very 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 critical here in regards to judging um to be to qualify to be a judge takes a lot of study and it takes a very long time and it's all it's yeah. it's all managed by usdf so and and it's again like I've been told I should go and try and get my judge's license, but you have to start off super low where you, 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 you get introduced to a program called the L program. So gives you all the basics from, I think, prelim to maybe elementary. And if you pass that, you have to pass it with distinction. Then you have a license to judge at schooling shows only. You have to put in so many hours under a judge to go ahead and go for your small R. And then if you get your small R, then you can be qualified to judge everything up to second level at a rated show. And then it goes on and goes on. But it could take two years to even complete the L program. And it's a lot of money to do that. Yeah, yeah. And even like for the for the L program that you only get to... Yeah judge at training shows you know that's still quite it's still quite a long time before you've actually reached that point oh, where you can years. judge an actual yeah, show years and it's 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 really really hard and it's as I said it's a lot of money it's a lot of time invested you know some people have to fly to other parts of the the country to be able to get judging hours under other judges because you have to do I think so many hours under different judges as well like it's 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 tough but then but then you know yeah for the most part like as a competitor goes you know you're sitting under a judge that is pretty current you know what I mean that it's they're they're just trying to level the playing field a little bit that you I mean there's still judges here that will give you you know an easily a mark to two marks lower than another judge would you know consistently I mean it happened to me at regionals regionals um last year I took ready to regionals at first and second level and I wrote a blinder of a first level test I was so happy one judge gave me a 72 the other judge gave me a 64 like what yeah it was actually I think that is a big big gap but it's I mean you still have that but for the most part like the judging here is pretty spot on but we pay for it too like our horse shows are not cheap they are not cheap like perfect example if I wanted to go to Vermont which is about two hours away and between my entry fees of say one test a day it's about $50 per test per day then you have to pay for your stabling they have office fees they have drug fees because they're all monitored by USEF so we have random drug testing for the horses you have to pay for that whether you get tested or not so most horse show 
yeah, most horse show entries oh for my me God. cost between four and five hundred dollars, depending on how many days I go for. And that's not and and I have my own truck and trailer. I don't need coaching. Like, what about those poor amateurs that? When I'm not saying poor, isn't they're monetarily poor if you know what I mean like but I just yeah I know I understand yeah you know they have to pay if they don't have a truck and trailer they pay trailering fees they have to pay for coaching and then all their tests on top of that oh and we have to talk about lodging as well like we have to find somewhere to stay so some shows could cost some people upwards than a thousand dollars a show and then some that is that like yeah. That is really blowing my mind that, how how expensive it is. Um, I'm trying to think Florida. Well, it's probably on a partial like show fees wise in Florida. But the whole other like going to Florida with your horse, that's a whole other thing. The expense of that. Like I dodged yeah. that bullet the whole time I worked for Pam because I <laughs> I never <laughs> I never owned a horse. I rode what I rode. I shut my mouth and yeah didn't try my best not to complain about certain things and then you know as I said what's for you won't pass you I'll keep saying it um I still had plenty of opportunities to show and I never had to put my hand in my pocket until I obviously got my own Dude, that sounds <clears throat> so expensive just and actually would that be just for what you would call like a, a oh, qualifying show yes, for the regional you for also have an extra fee for or, to add a, to make your test a qualifying test. <laughs> so that could be an extra, yeah, that could be an extra $15. So oh. you need to maybe go and do a prelim test could be the base cost of say 45 or $50. And then you have to pay another 10 or $15 on top of that to make it a qualifying test. So, and, and the thing about the levels as well um, is training level. You have training level test one, two, and three. First level test, one, two, and three. So they're all very progressive. You can only ride and qualify for regional championships at the highest test in each level. Just don't want to throw that in there too. So, but the thing is like the okay. tests change every four years. So you can ride first level test three for four straight years if you like. Not a big deal. And you know it doesn't change. It's a little bit different to the, breast, uh, the British dressage tests where you okay. have... Gosh, I don't even know how many tests per level there is anymore. I know I used to know there was a lot. You know, remember like the element. There's definitely, there's definitely over That's ten crazy. anyway. Like when I think any, on definitely it. between seven and I like to well, between seven and yeah, ten I remember anyway. When you know from showing back at home, I remember like, and they weren't always very linear. If I remember, um, like at least here. No. You know, no. each test has, I'm not saying it's better or worse than at home, but by any means, um, you know, it adds an extra element and it builds on to that. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I find that some of the tests here, you know, um, not so much in, in, in the prelim, but sometimes a novice could be an element very test. easily because uh, yeah. I think since. Yeah, be an elementary test, and then there's like a medium test could be obviously with without the half pass, but some medium test I think God that could nearly sit into anywhere between oh, a wow. novice and, yeah. and an elementary. Do you know what I mean? And I think that since I'd say since you've been gone, um, Dressage Island have also started um okay. creating their own tests now as well. 
and um some of them like some of some yeah. of the tests are really hard you know like even a novice or even a prelim test like I find some of them pretty the, the standard is getting I, I suppose what the judges are demanding from us is, is getting oh, quite so, high yeah, which is obviously a very good thing, a good thing. Um, and I'm, you know I'm a big creeper as well I'm always checking and seeing who's who and you know at home because I want to try and stay as current as I can and I see the caliber and and the mm. scores are just phenomenal compared to way back when I I mean it's been 10 plus years since I've been at home showing you know it's it's great yeah yeah oh it is it it, it 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 is only it is only a positive thing and I suppose like having you know yeah, the girls amazing, in green yeah. going to Tokyo I mean it's just incredible you know and I suppose in a way that the tests are getting harder. It is. It is a good thing, but I do see, uh, you know, like what you were saying, a bit of a discrepancy sometimes. That there's a bit of a jump sometimes from different from different tests, and I suppose it's more comforting for you to have that kind of linear progression. With yeah, the and what I really like about levels. them, um, you know, the the highest test in each level, they're very symmetrical tests. It's 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 not like okay. You know, it just they they usually flow very well, except with the exception of fourth level test three. Test three, um, that's just diabolical. That is like a trot, halt, rain back, walk forward two steps, <laughs> rain back again, and then you go forward again, and then you do this, and then you do that. So fourth level, what I've been told, and what I realized last year, second level and fourth level test three, not for big horses because there's all it's always stopping, starting, stopping, starting, and it's just. That's what kind of I didn't do that great okay. uh, last year with Reddy in that fact at, at, at regionals because he was just he hated second level test three because I'm like stopping going stopping going and he's a massive horse and he just got so dis- disinterested and you know yeah. it was it was hard to ride very hard to ride so given the cost of how you know expensive it is to show a horse in America. I assume that you help fund that through your coaching, do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, all of my horse endeavors, um, everything is through what I do. So I am primarily a freelance dressage instructor. I'll do training rides. I'll. My favorite thing to do is to teach people how to ride their horse. I don't care what horse you have. I just want to show you how you can be more confident riding your own horse. I have, I teach people on quarter horses that might, I, uh, horses that were previously saddle seat horses, like saddlebreds, Morgans, draft crosses. Like you don't have to have a fancy dressage horse for me to help. And it's my favorite thing to do is to sh- give people the confidence that they can do this, you know? And yeah. so my, yeah. I freelance teach, um, and I do subcontract at one barn that actually the, the okay. owner is the one that uh, set me up on a blind date with my now husband. So <laughs> that was, oh, wow. yeah, and she herself worked for Pam way back in the day. So yeah, it's just like, we're all just like this big family here in New Hampshire. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool story. Um, so yes, that's what I do. I fund my own and the, I only own one horse 
anyway I can't afford to own more than that um just okay. even um just even having a pickup truck and a horse trailer like it's very expensive um so yes I fund everything through what I do and I'm very lucky that I am full-time teaching riding doing whatever so I'm doing okay so that's yeah. good yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah and does the cost of showing in New Hampshire vary to when you go down to Florida? Um, maybe the entry fees are in and around the same because they're all governed by USEF, which is the United States Equestrian Fe- Federation. They're the umbrella body okay. for dressage, hunter-jumper, uh, eventing, that kind of thing. So the costs okay. are pretty much the same, unless, of course, you're doing like a CDI or something like that. Um, the the whole life in Florida, however, is very expensive. Um, and I, I hate to like go off on such a big tangent and this whole podcast be about money, but it's just the realization of it all that, you know, horses here in the States are, it's a very expensive endeavor. Um, like how much does it cost for four shoes on say your horse at home in and around? Um, anywhere between... 60 and 70 euro excuse me <laughs> are you serious <laughs> do you know what i yeah the average rate here is between two and 250 dollars and that's up here up north in florida 300 plus sometimes 400 and that's every four weeks because their hooves grow so fast down there because it's so warm oh my oh, god i'm not kidding you and like to even transport your horse to florida yeah between like twelve hundred and fifteen hundred dollars each way it's fifteen hundred miles um oh god that is a that is stabling like that stabling stabling and board for your horse could be gosh i couldn't even tell you i don't know two thousand dollars a month in and around maybe i don't know maybe i'm wrong on that one um, but I, I, I feel like if I wanted to go to Florida for four months, board training, my own accommodation, you're probably about 25 grand deep, I would say. And maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's a lot of money. It's a lot like that anyway, because the, the yeah, cost to feed yeah. a horse down there because they don't make hay in Florida because it's just a big sand pit. Um, everything is brought in from <laughs> New York, Canada, Michigan. You know, um, a bale of hay, a crappy bale of hay, could be fourteen dollars a bale, a square bale. Wow! Well, yeah, I yeah. think I think I think so many people will, you know, go away with the appreciation. I suppose how lucky we are here and I suppose like even saying anywhere between 60 and 70 euro you know I know that some barriers have gone up in prices in places Mm -hmm. and you know we're not very happy about it but I think we're pretty lucky in ways as well you know um I suppose everything is relative to where you are you know what I mean but still that it it is still a very even more expensive hobby not a hobby but it's a more expensive sport in america you know and i think that looking from the outside in you know like 
you have one horse or you know a rider might only have like three horses or mm-hmm. whatever but I think it opens people's eyes to how genuinely expensive it is and that it's not feasible all the time to have a yard of 12 or 15 horses uh, yeah and and you know as they said it's, there's a reason why I own one because even even at that mm-hmm. it can you know I mean luckily you know he's barefoot you know he's only two so you know he hasn't cost me much money yet <laughs> hopefully touching yeah. wood he's not going to cost me a lot in the future but um <laughs> you know it is expensive here and it's not like we earn more money than people at home do, do you know what I mean it's it's just it is what it is yeah. you know I have to work very hard to to keep everything afloat here and to have you know put some money into savings every month and you also have to think about like I have to have trainers insurance I mean I'm, I don't know if it's the same as at home but there's other aspects to it as well that it's just it's a lot of money however yeah. I'm not discouraged at all. I'll make it happen. I'll figure it out. Um, and I'm very yeah. lucky that I only own one and I still have the opportunity to show, ride and train another. And mm. yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And yeah, Florida is expensive because, you know, they can charge those prices because there's such a, um, you know, I know that Courtney had went into it a little bit. Like, it's just a whole other world down there. <laughs> like, it's like the yeah. largest concentration of horses in, in like, a 10-mile square radius. Like, it's insane. Yeah. And she's totally right about all the yeah. crosswalks for the horses. And it's <laughs> it's a whole other ballgame down there. Whole other ballgame. Yeah. But it's... Yeah. I thrive on it down there the competition is so good there's so much to see there's so much to do if you're willing to throw yourself mm. like headfirst into horses 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 for four months straight by the end of like mid-march like you're kind of ready to come to to get away out of it but like there's so much yeah. to do like i would spend most of our saturday nights we would go and watch the grand prix show jumping just because i'm a dressage rider doesn't mean you know i don't want to see the other stuff too watch polo on a Sunday yeah. you can you know there's so much down there yeah yeah and I suppose it's the opportunity as well for riders to kind of you know I suppose it was touching on what Courtney had said you're not you're seeing Grand Prix every day yeah. you're riding Grand Prix every day and I suppose that it's quite motivating for you when you go down there to see consistent level of Grand Prix dressage or Grand Prix show jumping or whatever it may be. I can imagine that it's a very, you even though by math you may be a little sick of seeing horses, you probably come away feeling very motivated for the summer of training that you're about to have. Oh, definitely. Like, you know, it's funny that, you, you know, as you said, like you come away motivated for your summer of training. You know, usually we have our winters of training, you know, but not if you're in Florida. But um, yeah, very much so. And just even, not even just Grand Prix, just to go and watch like the small tour or even a third level test. Like see how, you know, I I always loved going to the horse show to watch Pam coach because, you know, I would just park myself up beside her. um, And even in between her coaching, we would sit and she goes, all right, see what this horse does. This is what the horse that you ride does. See how she rides that. Right. That's good. But you could also do this. You know, she was so good. Like, we would mm. go and watch the Friday night freestyles, the Grand Prix freestyles, and she said, you know, she would make us watch, 
she would like grab us by our ears sometimes and be like, you need to watch this test. You need to watch this rider because yeah. this is what you do. And this is what she does and see what it's costing her or this, that, and the other, you know? So yeah. the learning is invaluable if you're willing to sit and have your eyes open to watch everything, everything. Yeah, I, I, Andy is oh, yeah. open to, to listen and watch everything. And I suppose that's one of the things I think can often be underestimated that you don't always have to be on a horse to learn. You can learn a lot from being on the right. ground. And as I'm well. very visual. I, I know what I, my feel is good, but sometimes I need to see it before I can connect this, what it's supposed to look like and what it feels like. Does that make sense? Um, okay, and it's yeah. it's a little bit like I almost like I have a better eye, I would say, than I am sometimes in the tack. Like my timing might be a little bit. It, well, Pam would say it is slow. Um, when I'm in the saddle, and <laughs> while I'm on the ground, I'll be I, I would be able to know if I'm on the ground to see it. I'm like, all right, half halt now or outside ring now. Um, while yeah. in the saddle, it might take me a little bit more than that. Um, to like piece it together but for me to watch it like if I was struggling on something and then for Pam to get on and show me I can get on and do it then that's just the way it was for me yeah. you know yeah and I think there's um there's a lot of value in knowing that about yourself and even you know if you were to go to a new coach you have that you have that um, information for yourself to say to the coach because I think there should uh, I and I believe that there is, but I think there's always oh, room always. for improvement for coaches to have a better appreciation for the way different riders learn. Yep. Like, not all riders learn by just being told right. what and, to do. And that, 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 that's exactly, you know, I, I teach a lot of people. And, you know, the good thing about, you know, Pam was great, Um she can adapt her teaching method based on the person. And, you know, as time yeah. has gone on, I've been able to try and, you know, replicate that a bit. Um, easier mm. said than done. Um, but you, as you said, you all, there's always room for improvement. Like my weaknesses, I own them. I know my timing and timing is everything. And sometimes when my head is not in the game, like, how can you expect it to be good? I know my left leg is, I know my yeah. left leg is slow and I can work better at that, mm. you know? Um, sometimes yeah. I ride too much with the handbrake on with the right rein, you know? The more you recognize your weaknesses, the more you can work on them, mm. like, simultaneously, like, with all the weaknesses. I mean, none of us are perfect. Like, none of us are. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, no. But no. The, what I have to no. say, like... Yeah, I haven't ridden the Grand Prix. Someday, I really hope so. But Pam has really opened my eyes on how important it is for us to be able to know how to ride the walk, trot, canter on different types of horses. And being able yeah. to see yeah. all the different types yeah. of horses down in Florida um, is huge. Because like you, you might see a six-figure horse go in and do a third-level test. And then you might see a lady come in on a... Uh, you know a fjord or a halfling are trying to do a third level test and that that's kind of cool okay. to see as well because there's so many different breeds here and more yeah. and more people are getting brave about bringing their different breeds into the dressage ring 
I've noticed in the in the ten years I've been yeah. here. You know, so that's kind of yeah. It's becoming yeah. more inclusive, and it, it does make the judging hard. Yes, you do have breed prejudice here, um, but it's getting better. You know, mm-hmm. for the longest time, you know, the PREs, the Lusitanos, whatever, they weren't always judged fairly. I would say because they're okay. different, they're not the big floaty warm bloods, but they're starting to, mm. you know, they're keeping up with the big guns. Like, you know, the ready horse that I ride, he's, he's a mixed bag, but he's able to keep up with the big guns. And he's, I wouldn't say anything on a par with a, you know, a purposefully bred dressage horse, you know, um, but okay. he's, a, he's able yeah. to keep up with the yeah. big guns. So it's just all about how you ride it, you know? Yeah, and that's and that's a testament to you, like Sergeant, on how you know you are aware of that. But yes, you have trained him and brought him on in such a way that he can bring up, bring stay up with the big gun. So I suppose you you need to pat like, yourself on the back for that know, as well. Irish people don't take compliments very well. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time like accepting any compliment. Um, you know what? <laughs> to me it's all about the horse he he was just such a willing partner like you know he's yeah I've had a blast he's really helped me a lot in my confidence too um you know my last horse I had bought as a project horse and uh it was two years I don't want to say wasted but it kind of was like it knocked my confidence in in my ability as a rider and a trainer and then ready has just been just he's just a big black Labrador, you know, he's just such a lovely horse to be around. Aww. Yeah. He's so kind, like so kind. Um, and yeah, he's yeah. just a great, yeah, he's been very good to a very, a pleasure to, to train total pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And what would be your, uh, your proudest, uh, competition moment? And that could be with any, that could be with Reddy, that could be any other horses that you rode for, uh, um, under Pam. What would be your proudest competition um, moment today? I'm trying to think about that now. I, I would say I'll, I'll go straight to Reddy and, um, having placed in 2019, um, a third in the training level Oval Championship. Yeah, it was a prelim test. But there was something like 50 in my class and we came third with a 72 something behind two really fancy horses. And he, just because it was a solid test, like he was, he's not a very fancy horse, but because he was so solid and consistent and rideable, he, he showed up to the occasion. It was his, probably his first year really competing and he goes into the stadium at Hits and Socrates and the prize giving and he's just a total cherub. And we also had earned with the 72%. The, the deal is with the regional championships here. Um, the top two in each championship automatically are qualified to go to national championships in Kentucky in November. Our regional championships are held at the end of September okay. every year. Um and anybody who gets over 72% also get invited with a wild card to go to re- nationals. And Reddy got us a wild card. However, this, yeah, it was oh just my cool God. because, you know, like he's, he's a mutt. He's, you know, he's a very weird mix of breed. And he, he got, you know, he got <laughs> us a ticket to, to nationals. I couldn't go. 
because I'm not a U.S. citizen. So if you're going to a national championships, you have to be a U.S. citizen. So that kind of was a bit of a bummer. Yeah. So that oh, was a, no. a bummer. Um, but, but that's okay because <laughs> only up until five years ago, you had to be a U.S. citizen to ride in the regional championships too or six years ago. So I can't really complain too much. Um. Oh, but that's still an incredible achievement right. and for like you, regionals, you know what like, I mean? So size of the competition, I guess. Um, I'm in Region 8. So Region 8 consists of the states of New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. I think just those. New Hampshire alone is a third of the size bigger than the state of, or the whole country of Ireland. No, Ireland's a third bigger than the state of New Hampshire. That's what it is. So if you imagine, like, all of Region 8 would be however many European countries combined. So for us, our regional championships is actually bigger than the Dressage Ireland national championships. We have something like over 600 horses at regionals every year. So that's, like, so even though it's a regional championships, it's not like the regionals at home. Like... The, the 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 amount yeah. of people the it's just everything about it is huge like we take up all of the hits showgrounds in Socrates New York and there's something like 17 barns 60 80 stall like yeah it's just wow biggest horse show I've ever been to in my life like bigger than the RDS like horse yeah. wise and everything it's just huge it's just kind of it, it's just kind of mad trying mm-hmm. to wrap your head around just the sheer size mm-hmm. of the you know the the, the ground all of the bands the amount yeah. of horses I mean like that's definitely you know I suppose it's heartwarming even to hear that you did so well yeah there, it was, you know what it I mean was, I mean I never expected it like you could ask my friend Diane the two of us went together and she because I was such a wreck about it because I wanted to do well I know I had written a great test but I was like I don't want to wait till the class ends because the class took like all day so she wouldn't she wouldn't let me touch my phone she wouldn't let me go check the scoreboard because she's like you're going to be a mess but like deep down she knew I had done pretty well but you know it's total doubt on my part but you know we're our own worst enemies I think (laughs) half the time when it comes to showing you know um (laughs) But yeah, yeah. That, was, that was great. And um, so that would probably be my, and probably I suppose taking Peanut to his first show as well, you know, just because of, he deserved it, you know, he deserved to be, you know, he was a school pony for so long and then to actually be worthy of going to a horse show. Like he loved it. He loved being a showman. He was like, where are we yeah. going now? Can we go to another horse show? You know, he just, he just really lit up. <laughs> so it was nice to do that for Pina, I think. Yeah. 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 So. yeah. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. And with, um, you know, I, I thought I have said this in every interview with like, there's nothing like a horse to take you down to ground oh, yeah. level. And I suppose we all face challenges with, with the horses. Uh, not even like the horses themselves, but just like challenges in terms of doing it for mm-hmm. a living. And is there any kind of challenge that stands out to you that you've had to overcome 
being there and how did that shape you into the person so I was that you are today? a very nervous competitor in home and at home in Ireland actually more so than okay. anything um I don't know why I was nervous maybe because I never felt very prepared like I know you know you know when your gut feelings like this I'm not really doing that great right now at home like do I really should I be going to a show <laughs> you know deep down even though yes your own mental state is what's inhibiting you from actually riding properly you know so um when I came yeah. to the stage and I had to start showing it was it was different for me because I had to do it because it was my job so the nerves kind of and I yes. also felt prepared going into the test so that was fine but the biggest challenge I think for me so far was when I delved into horse ownership for the first time here in the United States I had left it was time to like part ways with Pam I mean we still have a great relationship now I we still help each other out a lot um so I <laughs> to I'm going to buy myself a project horse and I'm going to sell it and then I'm going to be able to buy a really nice horse. So Pam's farrier, Claude, is from Montreal. So he actually would drive down and shoe her horses every five weeks. And he said, SJ, I know where there's a great horse you can find for cheap, but he's in Montreal. I was like, excellent, let's go. <laughs> so I just drove to Montreal <laughs> to check his horse out and he hadn't been ridden in nobody knows how long. He was questionably sound, um, but I saw the potential, right? So I was like, deal, done. <laughs> so then I went back home. I organized a pre-purchase. I did. I was smart and I did do a pre-purchase. So I knew what I was walking into. Um, bought the horse. He was originally a hunter jumper. I'd gotten the better of his owner. So she would pick a fight. He would end the fight. And he, so he was very defensive. So it was two years of hard okay. work. And it just turned out he was never really mentally submissive enough to get through a dressage test. And I kept trying and I kept trying and I kept trying. <laughs> but the thing was, he would give me glimmers of hope. Like, wow, actually, he could possibly do this. And then I went to one horse show. I decided to try for second level test three. And it was an absolute horror show. And I got the worst score to date that I did in the United that I've ever had in the United States. And after that show, I realized, like, to the point where I was actually taking Rescue Remedy before I would ride him, because I was afraid, <laughs> you know, he was never consistent. And I was always worried it was me, that it was something I was failing to do. Like, I was either asking too much of him, okay. or I was being too nice, or, you know, it was just, I was like, it was such a mental roller coaster. When at the end of the day, he just wanted yeah. to jump. That's what he, you know, at the end of the day, that's what he wanted yeah. to do. So after that show, I was like, I can't yeah. do this anymore. Like it took me a while to admit that, you know, we had talked before about, you know, sometimes you just don't mesh with a horse. I had done, I had done all I could for yeah. this horse. It was time for somebody else to have a better time of it with him. So that was very yeah. hard because I was like, okay, I know he needs to be a jumper. And at the time I had, I was boarding him because I couldn't have horses at home. Um, I was boarding him at a hunter jumper place and the kids there are really good riders. So I had Jordan sit on him and he was as happy as God knows what. So I was like, all right. So thankfully I was able to connect with their trainer 
and she was able to get him sold for me. But it took a little while. Um, and then, but I was kind of rocked yeah. after him because, you know, I've been trying to show this horse and not doing that great. So I had a lot of um, self-doubt that maybe I'm not good enough for this. Maybe I can't. Maybe I can't. Maybe being in this yeah. industry as a professional yeah. was not really the right thing for me. And then, so when I got him sold, Bob had been born. So that happened. And um, Reddy's owner offered me the ride on Reddy. And then that just changed everything. It was yeah the best. Yeah. And it's definitely, you know, South South The South biggest. Yeah. Something I think every, every yeah. single rider has, has, dealt with and I think you know hopefully with the podcast I try to showcase that riders aren't alone and especially in this sport it's quite unless you're on a yard it's quite an individual sport it's quite an isolating support or sport and sometimes you know you start to actually believe the thoughts that are in your head and it's that I suppose it's okay not that it's okay, but it it happens to everyone. And what did you do? You know, what way did you go about? Of of course, like Reddy had come along, but was there anything else that you did or kind of said to yourself that, you know, no, I am good enough for this. No, I can't so do this. This is a profession. So what actually was, and I, I, it was the lady that sold Stoico for me, a great lady called Gretchen Anderson. And you know, when you ever have you ever met somebody that they just look at you and you know that they can read you inside out she was one of those like every time I was around Gretchen for some reason I just wanted to burst into tears because I knew she understood and um she yes it was what she said to me she goes and and you know other people had said it to me too but for some reason from her it just it was okay It, it like hit home was he couldn't be this happy if it wasn't for what you put into him So it made me feel, I'm like, okay, Okay. I didn't like squash this horse's ability or happiness. Maybe I did for a while until he had to behave himself, but um, because he was not very behaved, I can tell you that much. Um, (laughs) That I made him strong. He got a good foundation in flat work. And to watch him, like, I watched him, her daughter had shown him for me, and to watch him go around that horse show, like, so happy. Like, that to me, I was like, all right, okay, so I did okay. I did okay with that. All right, I I think I can move on now. And it also helped that Pam, she she would make me sit on some of her, her horses, too, just so I can get my, like, get rid of the survivor seat. (laughs) You know, I, I I get back to <laughs> back to being a bit more of a normal rider. You know, not that Stoika was bad. It's just like you know when yeah he at that point had been he, it was time for him to move on before I realized it, and I was a bit too late to the party on that one. But it's all all is well that ends well. You know, okay. Like, he he's in a wonderful home. Yeah, he's having the time yeah. of his life, and everybody's happy. Everybody's moved on, so it's all, all yeah. good. So that was probably my biggest challenge. Yeah, definitely here stateside, anyway. And I think what was also <laughs> very 
comforting for me was seeing my students do so well at the horse shows. You know, that was huge to see them like overcome thinking that they'd never get past first level purgatory, you know, that kind of thing. So it's like, okay, maybe I can do this. And maybe teaching is more my favorite thing to do now. Because before I was like, I want all the horses in the world to ride. But you have to deal with the owners. While at least with the teaching, I can be the mentor and the ear to listen. You know, I I much prefer that role. Not that, Mm. you know, I mean, I'm going to ride for my own goals for sure. But I definitely, I really like to teach. Really like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's something that, you know, with, I suppose, like talking about the likes of self-doubt, I suppose maybe, you know, in the future, if you were to have another horse in the future, join your team that if you can kind of, if you're getting the same feelings that you had with that horse, you can yep. recognize it a little bit sooner. I suppose you can have the tools then to 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 fix it right. before and it becomes a problem. Like, so you know what I mean? I know that fear is going to creep back in the next year or two. I can tell you that much. Like, I, I know it's going to happen because with the youngster I have now, autom- like straight away I'm already thinking, God, am I going to be good enough for him? Am I going to be able to do this horse justice? So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's never, I don't think, ever going to go away from me. It, hopefully I can talk myself out of it quicker and quicker each time. <laughs> that would be great. Or have somebody give me a kick about mm-hmm. it and be like, snap out of it. Yeah. Maybe try this instead, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 I think every, you know, and it, it's not to take away from the, the things that you tell yourself, but I think every writer has that. And especially when you have something, you know, like we were talking before about, mm-hmm. you know, my new horse and, 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 and your horse, that the, the, the characters and, mm-hmm. and that, you know, they're cheeky and that what makes them to go on and be successful competitive animals. And I think we all look at them and think, God, I hope I can bring you to the place yep. that I want you to be, you know. And I think that we can be incredibly, incredibly oh, yeah. hard on ourselves because we've gotten to this point where we are now why can't we get further if we have just a little bit more belief in ourselves yep. we can absolutely get further and oh, for uh, sure. again and, you and know it's what I mean? also hard because I I'm also pretty guilty of comparing myself to others well if she if she was able to get that horse to do this surely I can too in a way that's motivating and in a way it's very self-destructive yeah because then that's all you're focusing on instead of just, you know what, stay in your own lane and that kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's mm. hard. And and, I'm, and I think Courtney had said it too, that um, you're like, oh, God, people are going to be like, you know, asking me and judging me and this and that. You know, it's, it's very real. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is. have the power it to is. overcome it. You know, like it's mind over matter. Um. But it also depends on what side of the bed you wake up mm. that morning as well. <laughs> we are human after all. It is. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's definitely a fine line between comparing ourselves to another rider, but also taking a oh, glimpse yep. of what they do into our own system, you know? And I think it's a, it's a, 
it's a lifetime goal of fine of actually walking that fine line and not comparing yourself to a rider and I've said it before and I said it in Courtney's episode as well that like we always compare our, our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reel on social when media and so I know I have said that a accurate. few times but I really want to hit home with it because yep. it's it's so important you know that because because you know it, we are suffering with these thoughts that mm-hmm. we eventually start to believe and then you see somebody like you said if she got that horse to do yeah. that then how come I can't do it and you know it, it it's quite it, it's very tricky it's a very tricky area for oh, us yeah. to have to deal and with really it's, isn't it um, it's just so not good for us like you know it, it really isn't and at the end of the day <laughs> like I mean don't get me wrong I still have days where you know, ready is not a good horse in the winter, especially in an indoor. And there's days where I'm just like, well, now I just literally feel like the worst ever because that I, I felt like, you know, I might've had to get into him a little bit or he was just, you know, so nervous that I couldn't even like hold his hand appropriately or, and, and then you see other people posting on, I mean, like, we all have to post positive things on social media. That's, like, my biggest thing. I do, like, well, no, I should be doing more negative stuff, too. And maybe I do in my in my, my little reels. Like, I did post one of my ride on the, uh, my last ride with Pam and Ready. It's, like, I walked into that lesson thinking, I am so, I, I've messed this horse up. I'm, I've regressed from the last one. I didn't understand what was happening, why my left arm was dead every day I rode him, when in reality, I just needed to let go of the left rein and get him to take on the Mm -hmm. right more. But, you know, sometimes you just get so stuck in this feels really bad that we kind of wallow in it or we don't, our mind, the door is closed in our mind to, do you know what it is? Frustration happens when knowledge ends. So when... Yeah, and actually, that's a, oh, I really a, like that. And he's a, a Western trainer, I think. Um, I don't know. Someone else told me that the other day. <laughs> uh, she goes, "Frustration happens when knowledge ends," and you know what? It's so true because I, you know, we try to ride with whatever education we have, but every horse is so different that you just might have to ask the question a little differently. But, you know, yeah. What's the question yeah. you ask? That's the, the beauty of this whole horse riding thing. You just never know enough. So um, I have many, many a bad ride. Yeah. Mainly because of me, you know. Um, and, you know, some days they, they might even be in a bad mood as well, you know. We're individuals and so are they. And winter and winter in New Hampshire yeah. is not fun yeah. on a horse, let me tell you. Well, I think, you know, I have definitely seen the pictures of the many inches of snow that New Hampshire gets, and I can't it's imagine it is a whole pile of fun. Time. Like, oh, this is great, it's light and it's fluffy, but if it gets one day of sun, it all, like, compacts down and then it gets to, like, ice. So what looks like out in my field right now looks, oh, it's lovely and snowy. You walk out there and it's solid ice. <laughs> and you know, this is just no fun at all. Like, you can't even, like pick the paddocks or anything like that because all the poop is frozen you know and then it makes for a terrible spring cleanup but you know is what it is 
<laughs> yeah. Oh my god! It, I tell you, Sunshine. I tell you, are longing for. Uh, I, for yes. Uh, well, hopefully, I'll get to Florida yes, one day. Yes. But um, and I still do. Like I move, I move Pam's barn for her up and down to Florida every year. So I'll drive all the equipment, her truck and trailer, down with her dogs. Yeah set up the barn down there, receive the horses from the shipper, fly back up north, and then I do it all over again in the winter or in the springtime. So um, I do get a dose of sunshine here and there and a quick chance to catch up with my friends down there. So it's not all that bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lovely. Um, For any young aspiring it could be a rider of any discipline but if you had a piece of advice or if you could ring your 16 year old self so for advice, what would you tell them? I wanted to do with horses even at 16 so any aspire I'll, I'll, I'll say for anybody that wants to a young person that wants to um pursue you know a career be it in the horses or dressage industry or whatever do your research do your research on if you want to be a working student for somebody, okay. do your research and go somewhere where you're going to get riding opportunities and, you know, maybe scope out their training, you know, their theories mm. or their methods and how they ride or they teach because, you know, the big draw for me to work for Pam was how she explained and how she taught, you know, this is why you're doing this because your horse is weak in this situation mm. right now. You can tackle this problem with this exercise or this exercise or this positioning. So it was very much like, this is this, that is that. For me, that's worked great for my brain. However, like you still have yeah. to feel it out. But then there's other trainers out there that might be like, oh, that's good. That looks so good. That looks so pretty. But is it really? You know, I, I want the nitty gritty of it. So, yeah. you know, go f do your research. Go find mm. out who is a good person to work for who is a great trainer and where are you going to get the horses to ride you know you don't want to be stuck for six months mucking out stables and the back of beyonds in germany like that's not going to get you anywhere um that would be like my yeah. biggest and yeah. you know be going somewhere where you don't have a horse i guess that's my biggest one you'll get more opportunities if you don't bring your horse with you that's how i feel So you, that's you how I feel, and that's how it works here. Don't bring your horse from what I've you. seen in the states, anyway, I can't say for okay. sure about. Okay. You know, uh, you know, I just felt like I got more horses to ride. You know, variations. Like, yeah, I might not have been had such great. You know, yeah, I should have been a Grand Prix rider by now, but that's not. They were not. That wasn't what I had. I didn't have a horse with me to do that. So, but I still, I feel like I really got a good grasp on how yeah. to ride the walk, trot, canter on all the different horses. And that to me was more important moving forward as a professional. You can always yeah. do yeah. the other stuff again. Yeah. Hopefully. And I think as well, I think as well, you know, it, sometimes it can be a bit of, of a race almost yeah. to get to, Grand Prix as, as quickly as we can and I think we forget that you can ride horses yep. up until whatever age you are until yep. you are physically unable to you know what I mean I think that we forget yep. often that we still have the rest yep. and of our I've whole life still ahead of us you know what I mean 40, at least when I get to do my first Grand Prix 
you know, going with the youngster I have out there. Um, and I, I've accepted it. it. Yeah, it would be nice to do it sooner. But it's to me, like, I know I'll get there eventually. It's just might not be the same road as everybody else, but I'll get there. But that, that's, that's it's, exactly it's your right. road. And, you know, it's, at the end your of the road. day, like, it's your journey. I don't have the finances to go and buy even a broken three-year-old. Like, I had to buy Bob when he was 10 days old. Cause that's the, I, that's the only way I was going to be able to afford a really nice horse. Yeah. And, and, and that's just the truth of it, you know, mm. and I'm very lucky yeah. that I was able to secure him because, you know, to buy something, mm. cause they, they import a lot of horses here, especially youngsters. And I couldn't afford that. Like, even if I was to find one cheap enough in Europe, it's still eight grand to ship them. Yeah. Here. Like, that's crazy. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm lucky that, yeah. You know, yeah. It all works out. Yeah. And going then on to your goal. So, I imagine taking from that answer that your long term yes. goal with well, Bob my short-term is goal, Grand Prix. goal is to get him backed and not me bucked off. <laughs> Because, you know, I, I, start, <laughs> but I don't know, like, I mean, I still have another good few months before I can even start doing that. So he's only just two now. So yeah, short. <laughs> yeah. If that's a, a witty answer yeah. for you. Yeah. Goal would be Grand Prix. Short term goal would be <laughs> to do justice by him and be um, brave enough to harness the new power that he's going to bring compared to ready. And I would love to get ready to do a pre-St. George test, I would love to get my tail coat back on for him. So that would be fun. But he's got to do his jingles yeah. like a good boy first. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. Oh, I'm so excited to to see to, to seeing pictures of you and Reddy going for your oh, first, that would be nice. Um, I mean, for your first PSD. I feel a bit small up there these days. He's, I don't even know what size he is. I... We're afraid to stick him. I'll be honest with you. I, I feel like he's close to 18 hands. Maybe not. He's definitely 17-2, <laughs> if not 17-3. Yep. And I'm, yeah, and I'm 5'4". So. Wow, that's pretty big. And the thing was, like, when we bought him, he was only, like, 16-2. <laughs> and that was, like, four years ago. But he, he's, a, he's a funny mix. He's um, half Hanoverian, a quarter Percheron draft, and a quarter American paint horse. Um, so that's a total mixed bag. Um, but he is wow. a Canadian sport horse, but he, um, the thing about the Percheron drafts, I'm, I'm realizing <laughs> the more I get experience with them, they keep growing all the way through their nine-year-old year. They finish out at the end, you know, through their nine-year-old year. So he's grown. He grew last February and he grew again last October and he filled out this winter. Yep. Pretty and I bet you I, were hoping I that really he has stopped so, growing no, now for the foreseeable. Really hard time to find where they're supposed to be. On <laughs> He's pretty wide, like it's like sitting on a table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he's the best. Oh my god! And <clears throat> what do you want to bring to the dressage world over in America? So, what kind of 
what do you hope to bring, I suppose, representing Ireland over to when you're showing in America on Ready and and, and what, soon enough that... when you'll be showing Bob? Oh, gosh. And then you, oh, that's a tough one. I guess that the underdogs can do it. Like, you know, I, I really... I really have a good yeah. feeling about Reddy, no matter how weird of a mix of a breed he is. I have a feeling like, you know, with accuracy and trying to ride the horse as best you can for what they are, you can do well. And I don't know where Bob is going to, how he's going to mm. fit into the mix because, you know, he's purposefully bred for the job. Um, I think I would love to bring a little mm. bit more simplicity about the whole dressage thing we as you said we can get so into our heads and so technical about it and it doesn't have to be that way um if i can encourage more people to be thinking riders yeah um i would be super happy with that you know pam is always uh, yeah she, i have so many stories but i remember one time she told me sj you know riding is 65 to 70 percent analyzing what is happening underneath you and the rest is riding to fill in the holes. So, and I think a lot of people don't always understand that or believe that, that um, we need to really be like, okay. all right, where is his left hind right now? Okay, well, you know, breaking it down, be a bit more, I, you know, I love the rider or the horse biomechanics of it all, riding to make it better. So if I can make things understandable for people, um, and in a simplistic way, then I think that would be kind of cool in dressage here. So I feel like it, I feel like it could be so complicated, and it doesn't. Need I to love be. that. It just doesn't need to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we as riders tend to make yeah. it more Especially complicated than, riders, than it needs to be. <laughs> yeah. no, I'm, I mean, I'm not like judging people, yeah. but we we yeah. do because yeah. there's there's so much involved in it. But at the same time. You couldn't ask me to go jump a course of fences at all. I think that's very technical. Like, I wouldn't even know how to go about that. You know, so it's just. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just every, every, every discipline has, you know, it's, it's different ways of, of, of doing things. And I suppose, like, we were saying before dressage yep. kind of suits you and, and, and your personality, do you know what I mean? And I, I suppose jumping is the same for other people. It suits other people. And I, and I again, eventing is a whole other ball game where you're kind of hoping all three, <laughs> just, you shoot all three and then you just mash and, it into you know, one it day and, and hope for the best. Like <laughs> the feeling of adrenaline. So that's why dressage suits me down to the ground because for me, when I'm like, really engrossed in the boringness of things I'm like totally at peace that's my buzz you know it can be super boring like oh my gosh she's just going around in circles like yeah um you know on 20 meter circles and then she moves the 20 meter circle over here when there's a lot more going on you know <clears throat> to me that's like heaven not that I live yeah. on a 20 meter circle all the time <laughs> you know? yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and what dressage rider do you look up to it doesn't have to so be dressage any rider right what now, rider really do you look like up to the I, most um, one is Catherine Dufour she's a Danish dressage rider Olympian 
younger than me and she's just an unbelievable writer and she's a hard worker and the other one that I really like he's yeah. a Swedish again younger than me <laughs> and like really good um his name is Carl Heden <laughs> again you should follow these these people on social media so he's a excellent dressage rider but he's also an excellent jumper what I love the most about him is all of his horses do everything and they're all so happy so happy and he's so fair you should check him out he's also wow very very easy on the eyes too I really should <laughs> um it always helps but I, I send you their, their, their always helps through and Instagram <laughs> later but um he, they're just good adaptable riders and that's what I'd like to be someday just very adaptable yeah yeah well I think I think you know, from from hearing your story, Sarah-Jane, you already are considering all of the horses that Pam has put you on, you know, and especially yeah. with all of the different breeds that are over in America and with, with, with Reddy being different breeds. So <laughs> I think you need to... I know you were saying earlier that you, you know, Irish people don't know how to take a compliment, like but you are again, already yeah, adaptable, like you know what I mean? But yeah, no, you're... I guess, I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you let's say when you I know when you were talking about Bob you said you had bought him at 10 days old so what do you mainly look for in um, a dress so the funny thing is the, the reason why aside. I got Bob is because I wanted a piece of his mother that was it <laughs> I was like oh my god he's so cute I have to have him okay <laughs> But it turns out, um, you know, because <laughs> Pam bred him, um, and she, you know, she already had a full cross or a full sibling. I mean, um, she kind of knew what he was going to be like. Um, he's by Gray Flannel. He's a an Oldenburg okay. in Germany, and he's by Gribaldi, who Totilus was by, and mm. he's they're known to be brave super curious very cheeky and um pretty talented for the upper level stuff um so i thought like well his sister was lovely and i thought well you know what like if you know if pam was willing to sell him i'd love to have him but if i was looking for a dressage horse for me like ready is a testament to yeah. temperament if they're trainable you can do a lot with them a good walk and canter you cannot like Courtney said it you said it before yeah um I'm sure everybody says it you know walk and canter are god-given so they need to be good and the trot you can always have them influence mm. over um and I mean I mean Reddy does have some yeah uh you know confirmational um I don't want to say like false but he's a little short in the neck that can be hard especially for the you know the half passes and things like that it can you know the shoulder neck connection can be kind of tight so you know the lateral flexibility there can be kind of hard mm. um but it doesn't like I mean, peanut was the same but it doesn't mean you're mm. not going to do okay and good feet you know and big ears yeah. and big eyes yeah that's it <laughs> big yeah big ears big heart that's what my dad always i said. love that answer. And he's not wrong and a good big eye Best piece of advice you've ever gotten? 
Ride them like you stole them. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, best piece of advice. Um, I had a good one earlier today because I was thinking about this because I, I had a feeling you were going to ask. I guess my biggest uh, piece of advice would be stay in your own lane. And I know I said it earlier um, in the podcast, but you know, what's stay in your own lane. Don't buy into anybody else. Yeah. You know, life is for living. So what you want mm-hmm. to do is what you need to do and do whatever you can to make that happen. I guess. I love that. Cool. I really love that. There's a lot of value yep. in that. Just stay in your own lane. Don't buy into any of the crap. <laughs> uh, what does success mean to you? Happy students and happy horses. I want success for me is I've done my job successfully when any of my students have that light bulb moment or the feeling of a good ride when I'm not there that they can do it themselves and that horses are happy and that I, I like to see fat, happy horses with no, you know, anxieties in in the stall or at the horse show. That's my, my biggest thing. I really like that. I really like it. Your most embarrassing moment, either in the show ring or at a show on horse or anything Um, like that? Probably my most embarrassing moment was my first Florida season working for Pam. And I was riding Peanut and actually I was off the circle to the right and I was walking on a long rein. I was on the buckle (laughs) and we were walking around. I had already trotted through some puddles, by the way. Already trotted through. So I'm on the buckle. I walk through the puddle. Next minute, I'm on the ground in the puddle. And I had no idea. Oh, no. I mean, I fell off Lars Peterson's dress-out horse at the walk on the buckle. And I got up and I was livid. And Pam was like, what did you do? And I'm like, I wasn't paying attention. (laughs) I guess Peanut decided he spooked at his reflection in the puddle. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was as I was up as quick as I was in the puddle. I tell you that much. I was like nobody saw that. Oh no! Your favorite show you've ever been to? That can be in Ireland or in America. My favorite show that I've ever been to, honestly, probably some of the the under twenty one friendlies up in Nakarn when we were all all hanging out the Mackies from Cork and the Burns from Wexford and the Galway crowd yeah we always had a great time at those shows probably my favorite and and there's some great there is a great horse show here in Vermont at the Green Mountain Horse Association um one of the most beautiful showgrounds you'd ever go to it has its own stream that runs through the middle of the showgrounds so you have to like walk you have to yeah you have to walk through the stream to get to your show ring and things like that and you've got bridges to walk over and trails to ride on it's it's pretty magical. Yeah, it's they do a great job there. Yep. Nice. Your favorite horse that you don't own but you'd love to ride? Oh, Bob's dad, Gray Flannel, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or um or Catherine Dufour's Cassidy. That would be a good one. Yeah, a few people, a few people have said yep. that as well. I um, love I him. feel like 
everybody would also say Vallegro, but I feel like Vallegro would pull my arms out. So, and I'm pretty strong, but I feel like he's pretty darn strong too. I would want to be able to sit that extended shot pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your dream coach that you'd love to have a lesson with? Um, I would like to say Kira Kirkland. Oh, I yeah, like that one. Yeah, because not only does she help Catherine do four, but um, she seems like we would get on. She's got the right kind of mentality, I think, that I would um, mesh with pretty well. I don't do light and fluffy too well. Okay. I'd like be yelled at. Not that I'd say she'd yell, but like, <laughs> it, I feel like she would be quite black and white, which is what I like. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really like that. I mean, of course, Carol Hester, but like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like she would be good, kind of different. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my God, Jane, thank you so uh, so much for coming on this episode of the Inside Rain podcast. I've had such a blast talking to you. It's been and, so long since I was and talking to you last. I've had an absolute blast. I was so excited when you messaged me asking to meet me, asking me to be on and. I was like, really? Like me? You know, I'm not doing much of anything. I'm just in America. But it um it was great. It was great to talk to somebody from home again. I miss home. This whole COVID thing is kinda sucky. And it's just nice to see what's like going on at home too. Like I feel like part of the gang all you know, even for the past hour or two, it's been great. Thank oh, you. Oh yay. Thank you so much.